Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast in Maine on WXMA 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Hearing this on July 2nd, 2016, Independence Day weekend. It's not just the date in the calendar. It's the the day we earned our independence. People all over the world are are waking up and taking a good hard look at the system that we're struggling under. Not just not just the U.S. Last week they had Brexit, British exit from the European Community. And uh, everybody got excited about it. Stock market got a little nervous. A lot of people sold stuff. and A lot of other people jumped in and bought that up and ran the Dow Jones right back up where it was, or very close. The system is entrenched, and it's difficult to struggle against. And uh, I looked up something that a friend of mine wrote a few years ago. Thelon Polk is his name. And I'm going to read it on this Independence Day weekend. Some of you may have heard this before. I I did this once before uh, on Independence Day weekend on the show, but there have been over 400 shows now, so you might have missed it. And I think it's appropriate for today. I had a dream the other night I didn't understand. A figure walking through the mist with flintlock in his hand. His clothes were torn and dirty as he stood there by my bed. He took off his three-cornered hat, and speaking low, he said, We fought a revolution to secure our liberty. We wrote the Constitution as a shield from tyranny. For future generations, this legacy we gave in this land of the free and the home of the brave. The freedom we secured for you, we hoped you'd always keep. But tyrants labored endlessly while your parents were asleep. Your freedom gone, your courage lost, you're no more than a slave. In this, the land of the free and the home of the brave. You buy permits to travel, permits to own a gun, permits to start a business or build a place for one. On land that you believe you own, you pay a yearly rent. Although you have no voice in choosing how the money's spent, 
Your children must attend a school that doesn't educate. Your Christian values can't be taught, according to the state. You read about the country. You read about the current news in a regulated press. You pay a tax you do not owe to please the IRS. Your money is no longer made of silver or of gold. You trade your wealth for paper, so your life can be controlled. You pay for crimes that make our nation turn from God in shame. You've taken Satan's number as you've traded in your name. You've given government control to those who do you harm so they can padlock churches and steal the family farm and keep our country deep in debt, put men of God in jail, harass your fellow countrymen while corrupted courts prevail. Your public service don't Your public servants don't uphold the solemn oath they've sworn. Your daughters visit doctors so the children won't be born. Your leaders ship artillery and guns to foreign shores and send your sons to slaughter, fighting other people's wars. Can you regain your freedom for which we fought and died? Or don't you have the courage or the faith to stand with pride? Are there no more values for which you'll fight to save? Or do you wish your children to live in fear and be a slave? People of the Republic, arise and take a stand. Defend the Constitution, the supreme law of the land. Preserve our great Republic and God-given right. And pray to God to keep the torch of freedom burning bright. As I awoke, he vanished in the mist from whence he came. His words were true. We are not free. We have ourselves to blame. For even now, as tyrants trample each God-given right, we only watch and tremble, too afraid to stand and fight. If he stood by your bedside in a dream while you're asleep and wonders what remains of our rights he fought to keep, what would be your answer if he called out from the grave? Is this still the land of the free? in the home of the brave. It's particularly appropriate this Independence Day weekend. We have lost so much and we're continuing to lose it. I get letters from various political organizations several times a week that make good fire starters. And I've drafted up a sheet of paper. I'm going to fold it up and stick it in the envelope. The the uh, Republican Congressional Caucus sends me stuff, and the Senate Caucus, and the House Caucus. We have a few good people down there in Washington keeping an eye on things. But we've got a bunch of them that are just epoxied right to the establishment. They don't move. They don't create waves. McConnell makes $133,000 a year down there as a senator, and he went from, and he's a multimillionaire. Where'd that money come from? And here's the insert that I stick in their envelope and send it back to them. They're paying the postage. Do not waste your postage on me. You do not listen. Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan have betrayed their states. They've betrayed our party. They're traitors to our nation. 
They gave Barack Hussein Obama $1.1 trillion as a going-away present with no strings attached. And you want our support? You people are delusional. Contact me after the 2018 election for a donation if McConnell and Ryan are both gone from our government. At least Boehner got the hint. That's my sentiment. And we're losing, you know. We're going further and further behind. But there are people down there in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut. Connecticut is among the worst. New York is bad. They've got a terrible record on human rights. They've got a mayor down there in New York City uh, who was elected with a 5% vote turnout. In other words, only 5% of the voters turned out to to vote for mayor in New York City. The other 95% didn't bother. And this guy was elected with just over 3% of the total vote. You can't, you can't drive people to vote with a stick. In northern Maine, our elders, the people who served in World War II, put on a coat and tie, and Sunday go to meet and close, and they go to vote. They know what they fought for. And men that came home out of the sandbox or Vietnam or any other place we've been know what democracy is all about. And don't use the word democracy very often. It's prevalent in Maine. It's it's what happens at our town meetings. That's democracy. But we are a republic. The kids stand up and pledge allegiance to our flag and the republic for which it stands. But they don't know what republic means. They're not taught what republic means. The word democracy does not appear in any of our founding documents. Not the, not the, excuse me, not the uh, Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, which preceded that. It's not, uh, it's not in our Constitution. The word democracy is not there. We have a republic. But our children are not taught this. And it's the fault of the administrators that set the curriculum in our local schools. We're required to teach, to have a Constitution Day every fall. And uh, the kids are supposed to spend the day reflecting on being taught about and considering our Constitution. Some schools put a notice on the bulletin board that says, this is happy, have a nice day, this is Constitution Day, and that's the end of it. The day is supposed to be spent in these studies. And we've begun to do this in the district where I serve on the school board. We went years without doing it. You know, we think that our kids are taught history and geography and English and mathematics. And uh, it may not be happening in the district where you live. People listen to this show all across the country. Some people stumble onto it. Some people listen to it faithfully. Got one fellow who listens to it every Friday night on the way home in Florida. 
and he says me commentary on it from time to time. When he came to Maine last year, he made it a point to come to where I live, and we went down to the local coffee shop and had a coffee. A great conversation. And there are a number of people that, that listen. And some of these I've never heard from, never met, but I, I hear about it in, uh, in various discussions. And I guess kind of sit back and, and listen, and people don't realize that I'm sitting there and I'm the guy on the radio. But it's, uh, I enjoy doing it. That's why I do it. I haven't looked lately to see what the number is, but it's well over 400 shows. So 440 hours a week is 10 weeks of listening. If you ever lack for something to do, you can go back and listen to some of the old ones. I don't think I contradict myself. You know, I'll tell you something, and if it changes later on, well, that's news, and I'll tell you. But uh, my principles and my beliefs and my motivation doesn't change over the years. I went to school and they did teach mathematics. And I was in an exchange of emails with my sister this week. Uh, the house that was being built for my parents uh, wasn't done uh, in the end of August, first part of September, as we had hoped. It just got delayed, so we moved in the middle of October that year. And I was in the... Uh, I was in the third grade that year, and and I was a little worried when I moved from one school to another that, you know, I didn't know if I'd be able to keep up with the other kids. But early on, they introduced short division. And I thought, ah, I got this knocked, because I already knew how to do long division in the third grade. I'm not talking about great, big, complicated uh mathematical problems I'm just talking about the, the the procedure you got short division and then you got long division and uh, long division is actually easier but it's a little more complicated but you get more accurate answers so it was uh, it was enjoyable though, to step in there and, and already be be caught up and not worry about not knowing what the other kids knew. Okay. Saturday, uh, northern Maine, we got showers with uh, possible thunderstorms afternoon. High near 75. South wind around 8 miles an hour becoming southwest in the afternoon. Chance of precipitation is 80%. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to rain 80% of the day. It means that 80% of northern Maine may get a shower. And the amounts are going to be between a tenth and a quarter of an inch, except higher amounts in thunderstorms. Saturday night, partly cloudy, low around 52, west wind around 9 miles an hour. Sunday, mostly sunny, high near 72, west wind. 13 to 16 miles an hour, with gusts as high as 30 miles an hour. So it's going to be a little blustery, and that'll keep the bugs down. Sunday night, mostly clear, low around 54, west wind 7 to 9 miles an hour. And Independence Day, beautiful day, 
going to have less wind. Wind will be out of the northwest. And uh, bright, sunny day. Great weekend. And good weather going back when you're traveling back to to where uh, where you need to be to go back to work. Gas is $2.16 a gallon in Newport, Maine this weekend. Now, Newport is a jumping-off place. Newport is a convenient place to get in off the interstate. They've got subway shops. They've got pizza parlors. They've got fast food of all kinds. They've got a good little restaurant there at the Irving. It's often full, but it's good food. Then you can tank up and head north up to Moosehead on the Moosehead Trail, or you can go up northwest. Uh, some people don't take 201 up. They'll go to Newport and go up. And, of course, you continue on up to head, head for Holton, but to tank up in Newport, that's going to be the cheapest gas when you're heading north. And then they can blow right through Bangor, unless you want to stop at Sam's Club or the malls or something. It's best just to cruise through Bangor, head up into God's country. Diesel, oh, by the way, gas is two fifty-five in Dresden. Don't know why, but they raised their price. Diesel is two twenty-three in Auburn and two ninety-five in Levant. Levant is just west of Bangor, and they often right at the highest highest gas price. Numerous stations have uh diesel right down there in the same in the same range as uh as gas. Diesel was cheaper to make, or used to be, until they started putting these additives in there. They took the sulfur out. You know, most petroleum products have have some sulfur content. But sulfur makes sulfur dioxide. Well sulfur dioxide contacts moisture, rain or fog or whatever, it forms sulfuric acid. Sulfuric acid is what contributes to acid rain. Now, carbon dioxide mixing with water forms carbonic acid, which is what you have in Coca-Cola and other soft drinks that are carbonated, and beer. So carbonic acid is what makes the, what makes the drink fizzy. Well, they took the sulfur out of the diesel. And I used to drive up along the St. Lawrence River when I was working in Canada, and they'd have this great big yellow pile of stuff. And I thought, what in the world is that? Well, they have refineries on the St. Lawrence River, and they bring in tankers from Venezuela, for example. And uh, I don't know if Venezuela is selling any oil because they've destroyed the country. The progressives taken over Venezuela, and there's going to be a. What's going to happen is the people are going to rise up against it. There will be a change in regime in Venezuela this year or early next year because the people have the most valuable resources in South America, and the government has totally destroyed their economy through socialism. That's what happens. Socialism and progressivism will destroy an economy. It happens all over the world. No freedom. It's a terrible thing. So, 
they're going to have a regime change down there. But a lot of their oil used to go to St. John, New Brunswick, and up the St. Lawrence River to Canada. And what they do is uh, they refine it, and they take the sulfur out, and that's what that mountainous pile, mountainous yellow pile was, was essentially pure sulfur. And there's not enough big enough market uh, for sulfur because there's such an oversupply. You know, markets work on supply and demand. The price of gold took a substantial hike this past week when they had some upsets in the economy in Europe. And England, or Britain, I should say, Brexit. You hear the word Brexit. That's British exit. And they are exiting the European economy, the European community, European Union, EU. When you see the abbreviation EU, that's the European Union. It's like NAFTA. And uh, Obama has met with the uh, young fellow there that's that's premier in uh, prime minister in Canada is, is uh, young fellow, and his father was prime minister generation ago. I like the Kennedys here. You know, they've, they've got a power structure. So they uh, distracted myself for a moment there. Well, Obama met with the Canadian prime minister and the president of Mexico, and he is essentially he didn't make a great big pronouncement, but he said he wants to do away with borders. Now, his the head of the State Department is John Kerry. John Kerry, I mentioned last week, it's worth mentioning again. John Kerry went to a college graduation and told the student body and their parents all assembled that you're going to be living in a borderless world. Borderless world, no sovereignty. Sovereignty will be governed by the establishment. And you can go wherever you want, do whatever you want. And no borders means no variation in laws. And the European uh, economic community, the European Union, has got this immense bureaucracy. And like the bureaucracies in our country, most of these people haven't worked in real jobs. Where you go to work, you produce a product, you get paid, you go home, you feed your family, you go on vacation, invest in whatever you're going to invest in and make some money and improve your life, and your children will live a better life than you did. That's been the story in my family. Uh, my grandfathers came from Scandinavia, one from Sweden, one from Norway. And they had their numerous children. I have lots of aunts and uncles. And they all did well. You know, they all did better than their than their ancestors did. Both of my sons are engineers, doing well. They're not doing as well as they could because of 
the impediments that our bureaucracy has put in the path of doing well. Huge student loans. College shouldn't cost as much as it does. But you get a college professor down there teaching two courses, making $135,000 a year, teaching a couple of courses in one of the colleges in Maine, and he's got tenure, and he's just set for life, teaching a couple of courses, drinking tea and sitting around with the other professors and discussing the absolutes in this world. But students graduate having taken majors for which there's no market. We graduate 60,000 historians, history majors in our country each year. There are jobs for 600 historians in our country. So the other 99% of people graduating with a history degree have to do something other than be historians, the field that they trained for. Yet they graduate with a huge debt. Some of these folks graduate with $100,000 in debt. What's the price of a modest home? In northern Maine, it's the price of a new home, a nice home. In the Millinocket, they just sold 16 homes for a grand total of $48,000. That's an average of $3,000 per home. Now, you're not going to march into in Millinocket and get a job. You better bring your job with you. But if you're into, you know, computer programming or doing transcription, there's a lot of uh, people transcribing uh, medical reports and the people doing uh, working in banks from home. And uh, there's, there's a lot of jobs that can be done on a computer. And it's a it's an emerging field. And we're not we're not training these people in our colleges, in our universities, I should say. But we've got Eastern Maine Technical College. Pardon me if I don't have the exact. It used to be Eastern Maine Tech, and uh, I'm not sure uh, what the name is. They keep changing it. It keeps growing. And these young fellows get out, and they're great at automotive technology, welding. They turn out good electricians and linemen. Uh, Power distribution. There's there's a lot of good fields. Hydraulics, air conditioning, and uh, heating, HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And they're, they they make good wages, and they don't have a mountain of student debt when they get out. Our higher education system is is inefficient at best and dysfunctional at worst. And we've got these established, tenured people who want to preserve the system as it is. They don't want to change anything. They set up these required courses that are irrelevant to to human life. their, Their subject matter exists only in their own little world does not exist 
among the citizenry. And some of this, some of these philosophy courses are valuable. They expand the mind and, and allow you to look at at uh, the world in a different manner, as long as you don't lose sight of reality. It's interesting to look at how our forefathers viewed the world. As incorrect as it may have been, that was their reality. They made major decisions on it. And if you, back in the Middle Ages, if you disagreed with one of their favorite ideas, they would just burn you alive and do various other terrible things to you. Because their their bowl of rice depended on preserving that idea that they taught, even though it was incorrect. We have that today. And there's a time of reckoning coming in the world because we have people and we have teachers that are teach the facts, teach our real history. And we've got a full line of Skowhegan coming up in three weeks. We, Project Appleseed is going to teach people what happened on April 19, 1775, when we sent the Redcoats back to Boston empty-handed. saw a cartoon this week, and it's a picture of George Washington. And it says that the Redcoats, or the, or the British this week voted to throw out a foreign power. George Washington is looking at you with a smile and says, gee, you wonder where they got that idea. <laughs> so people can see the humor, and it's really tragic, but a lot of humor involves tragedy. And our middle class has declined substantially in the last quarter century. And we'd like to get back to the point where where we can improve ourselves, educate our children, and preserve our heritage and teach our history. Homeschoolers are doing that, and they're having a fine time doing it. I listed a farm yesterday. This is somebody's dream. 65 acres, woods, fields, high ground, no swamp. uh, It's a four-bedroom home, a large four-bedroom home. Uh, It's got got, uh, these metal embossed ceilings that uh, they used to have years ago. These are not not tin ceilings. They're, They're actually plastic. And it comes in a roll, and you roll it out across the ceiling, and it adheres to the ceiling. But it looks like the old plastic tin ceilings, and they got edges around them. It's, and it's got uh, it's got oil heat, and it's got wood heat. Good chimneys. The house is connected to the barn. It's a big barn, and the barn has stanchions for 26 or 28 cattle. I've got to count them. But that's a guess, but that's close. I worked on a dairy farm when I was a kid, told a few stories about that. But it's got a vegetable garden, it's got fields, it's got woods, it's got wood roads out through the back. And I haven't explored it. I found out I got this thing listed around supper time yesterday. So this is a hot listing. And 
I sent some pictures down to my sister in Pennsylvania. And a farm like that in Pennsylvania, would be where they live in Amish country, would be a million dollars in Pennsylvania. Because land is scarce. This is fertile ground. We've got a lot of rocky ground in Maine. Down along the coast, you see these blueberry fields. And they're going through with excavators in the fall and digging up rocks and letting the blueberries reseed themselves and piling the rocks off to the side. Well, down in Pennsylvania, you can plow a furrow a mile long and not touch a rock. The same in Ohio. And American farmers, New England farmers, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, have farmed rocky ground for 100 years. And they said, you can plow a furrow out there in Iowa a mile long and not hit a rock. I'm going to Iowa. <laughs> and they did. They packed it up and left. And in the 1870s, we had a major depopulation of, our, of uh, New England. And the reason was that we were out of firewood. We didn't have enough firewood to heat our homes and our factories. Factories were run by water power and heated with firewood. And they gradually electric lights came in, but there was a period of time there after the Civil War and before electric lights became popular that uh, we, were, uh, we were out of fuel in New England. And people left for that reason. And nationally, it was becoming a problem. So the federal government bought a bunch of land. They purchased the land. They didn't seize it. And established national forests. And national forest was created for only two reasons. To, to provide lumber and water power for industry. Some of that lumber was fuel. But as I said a few weeks ago, when Henry David Thoreau came up to Bangor, Maine, he wanted to hike up to the top of Mount Katahdin and come down the east branch of the Penobscot and just to learn about the woods in Maine because Massachusetts, where he lived, uh, near Concord, uh, was becoming overpopulated from his point of view. So... We didn't have any oil, we didn't have any electricity, didn't have any coal, and you know, we had the only oil we had was whale oil. Whale oil was very valuable because it had you could have uh, oil lamps. Before oil lamps, you know, when it got too dark to see, you simply went to bed. <laughs> so no street lamps, and then. Eventually, we, we, uh, you know, we caught up with, with Scandinavia. My grandparents were amazed when they came to this country and there was no electricity because Scandinavia had electricity. They were the first ones to have a country that was widely electrified. Well, Scandinavia has lots of hydropower. And the national forests, as they say, in our country exist to provide hydropower, and and lumber, and fuel. Well, we're not doing that. National forests are not used for their lawful purpose. They're just that 
exists today as a transition uh, system for becoming a national park. Of course, we've had a lot of that, a lot of discussion about that. And Obama has just designated a bunch of national monuments. Of course, his best buddy in Maine is Roxanne Quimby, and she would very much like to give land that she doesn't own uh, to the federal government. She also owns some land. But the goal, never take your eyes off the goal. The goal is a national park of 3.2 million acres going from Maine, the White Mountains of New Hampshire, Green Mountains of Vermont, Adirondacks of New York State, and have a band of forest right from essentially Patton, Maine, almost to Niagara Falls. One big national park. And the Europeans can come into Bar Harbor on a cruise ship, get off, get on the Mercedes-Benz buses, and ride all the way out to Niagara Falls, all through this beautiful wilderness that they want to create. Because it is a wilderness. It's a tree farm. And in Maine, you know, the reason that the environmental industry likes Maine so much is that we people who own it have taken such good care of it. I took a course this past spring uh, in forestry for the small woodlot owner. And this is stuff that is good information that I can pass on to my customers because Northern Maine Landman is a real estate broker. This is what I do for a living. In 27 years, I have never sought a home listing. People come to me and say, can you sell my house? I say, yep, I can sell your house. I do a market value analysis, and I say, okay, if you want to sell your house, in 60 days, there's a price. Somebody will jump on it because that's a bargain price. In place, except in Millinocket. Now, Millinocket is a is an exception to the rule. But in uh, in most of our country, you know, we have what we call a fire sale price. You want to sell it in 60 days, somebody will jump on it. Then there's a, what we call market value. Market value is that it'll sell halfway through the listing period. We list the property for one year, and and somebody, you know, midway through that will buy it, and it's worth it. You got a willing buyer and a willing seller. That's the nature of commerce. And then you got the price that you'd like to get in your dreams, like winning the lottery. Chances of that happening are not good. You're probably still going to own it a year from now. And I try not to take those listings. I try to avoid those because I don't want to tell somebody I can sell something. When in my heart, I know that it's not likely to sell at that price because there's other better properties out there for less money. So this, uh, this is how I present it. And some people are a little bit taken aback by that. I said, look, you're going to own it a year from now. You're not going to be happy with me because it, you know, it wasn't likely to sell. And they're, they're somewhat startled. I mean, they're not used to being uh, 
given the plain unvarnished truth like that. Most real estate broke, oh, I can sell that. I can sell that. I'll find you a buyer. We'll sell it. In a year from now, it hasn't sold because it was priced too high or has some other, some other problem. I mean, but if, if it's, it's in a normal market, it'll sell at, at, at an honest market price. And the farm that I mentioned early on in the program that I just listed yesterday uh, should sell this year. I mean, here it is, July 1. I'm recording this July 1. You're hearing it July 2. But this is going to, this farm is going to sell, you know, I would say before deer season. In the next four months, it's going to sell. It's just, it's worth it. Price right. And the, the seller understands that, you know, if this was in Pennsylvania, as my sister said, I sent her an email this morning. She says, this, this place would sell for a million dollars in Pennsylvania. Well, this is in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, they've got lots of job opportunities. But I bet you, when she she's going on a short, uh, uh, she's going on a short uh, excursion to celebrate their 49th wedding anniversary, and uh, going down into the uh, Appalachians and look at the scenery and contemplate the absolute. When she gets back, she's going to print out some flyers. The gentleman that built their house in Pennsylvania has become a minister. He's an Amishman and uh, a home builder. Those Amish people can really build nice homes and barns. Anything else? Their chicken coops are nice. (laughs) But when she gets back, she's going to print up a brochure. She's going to give some to him and... uh, She's going to put them up in, in what they call the Mennonite Mall. <laughs> They've got a big store down there that used to be a chain store. I don't know if it was a Kmart or what it was. But it's been purchased by the Mennonites. Mennonites are Amish people that drive vehicles. They have very similar uh, faith and uh, practices and principles. And I walked in there one day. And uh, they've got all kinds of good stuff. I bought a couple of pairs of coveralls. And it says, you just try to wear them out. You buy a pair of cheap coveralls and they're worn out in one year. I've had this this pair that I've been wearing for five or six years. And they wear well. And they fit. And they're comfortable. So I went in there. And I'm involved with Project Appleseed as many people know, and uh, I wanted to buy an Amish hat, a black felt hat, and I had a short sleeve shirt and and uh, blacks and belt buckle, NRA belt buckle probably, and uh, this lady with a with a uh, in Amish style dress with a with a a fabric belt on it and uh, you know typical lady, Amish lady's hat. Lucy looked at me up and down. She said, "What in the world is this guy going to do with this hat?" And I, said, I could just see her mind working. You know, and I said, "I'm buying this hat because I teach history. I teach the history of 
what happened on April 19, 1775, and we sent the Redcoats back to Boston empty-handed. She looked at me, she looked at the hat, she said, "Tis a, tis a worthy purpose. <laughs> it was okay that I was buying that Amish hat, even though, you know, I wasn't Amish, because people down there, these folks are a minority, and like minorities everywhere, the majority tends to make jokes about the minority, and she was worried that I was going to make fun of them in some way. And when she realized that I was not buying the hat to make fun of the Amish or Mennonite people, that was a good thing. And she said, "Tis a worthy purpose." <laughs> it was. I just enjoyed that. You have to you have to look at the situations you get into in life and and uh, enjoy them. Don't make fun of them. Just kind of enjoy the moment. Okay, I'm just checking my watch here, 9.45. Europe is going through an adjustment. Our nation is going to go through a major adjustment in the coming year. Uh, We've got two of the most unusual presidential candidates we have ever had this year. One of them is likely going to get elected. What I'm worried about is that anybody that would vote for Obama twice would probably vote for Hillary. So voter turnout this fall is going to be huge. It needs to be huge. If we're going to turn turn this thing around and and the worst possible case would be to have Barack Obama having a third term, which is exactly what's going to happen if Hillary gets in there. Because she has, she stands for Obama, the what same things that Obama stands for. And it's going to just continue down this slippery slope, and it's going to get worse and worse if she gets elected. It would be a bad thing for our nation. We're already in a world of hurt. We're in trouble. We've got 95 million adults in our country not working, which is nearly three times the population of Canada. And there are a few people in Europe that understand what the system is doing to them. And I read a list. I wish I had it in front of me. I don't have time to find it right now. I could Google it. But they have come out with all kinds of regulations for the European Union. And this comes out of their, their essentially this huge bureaucracy, beginning with the European Parliament. And it's huge in, in or near Brussels. I can picture Brussels. And, and uh, it's got to be outside of town. They call it Brussels because that's where they land at the airport, but it's got to be outside of town. So it's a huge, huge uh, bureaucracy. They've, they've, they have rules on the curvature of bananas. Now, they want bananas to have a slight curvature, but they don't want it to be bent too much because they, they're not allowed to be sold in in the European Union if the bananas are bent too much. But they don't want cucumbers to be bent. They want cucumbers to be straight. And they have measurements 
to regulate how straight the cucumbers are. I shudder to think what their regulations must be about zucchini. I sold a home, it's got to be 15 years ago now, but I sold a home and we pulled into, into we went to the old place where they, they had the closing, one of the lawyer's offices in Lincoln. We all went off and we drove over to Aubuchon's, which was on Main Street in Lincoln then. Now it's out where the bowling alley used to be, near Walmart. But at that time, Aubuchon was on Main Street and it was a relatively small store that sold hardware. <laughs> and uh, we went in, and as I got out of my truck, I hit the door lock and click went the doors. And it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. And they said, they looked at me and they said, you locked your door on Main Street in Lincoln in the sun, on Friday, you know, in the daytime? I said, only on the second and third week of August. They said, well, why? I said, if you don't, when you come out, the back seat's going to be full of zucchini. Zucchini is the most prolific vegetable in the whole world. You plant a few seeds, you're going to have zucchini all summer. Lots of it. You can't eat it all. You don't want it to go to waste, so you pass it out to your friends and neighbors, and you say, oh, hey, that's Roger's. That's Roger's truck. We'll put some zucchini in his back seat. <laughs> there it is. You don't even know who put it there. So, well, we don't have a, a big crime problem in Maine. Uh, we've had... Uh, a few events, you know, we've had people from out of state come here and push drugs. And the governor, you know, <laughs> used a couple of, of typical names out of the ghettos in Philadelphia and New York. And people say that that's, that is, uh, you know, discriminatory or prejudiced to, to use names like this when you're describing these people. Well, it's their names. <laughs> How can you get out of it if you're going to say who this is? Well, anyway, two carloads of people, two people in each vehicle, pulled in side by side, prearranged meeting at the Walmart in Augusta, right across from the Augusta Civic Center up in the hill there. They blew a ledge and put in a whole bunch of uh, stores in a shopping center, and the Walmart is up there along with all the others, a bunch of chain restaurants in there. And a gunfight broke out because there was some dispute about a pass bill or the price of the drugs or something. And somebody from one of the cars shot one guy in the other car, and uh, the gunfight broke out. Well, no, it's a busy time. This middle of the summer here, or coming into summer, and two citizens lawfully carrying their own sidearms came up behind the two vehicles, pointed their guns at him, and said, get out of the car, lay on the ground, now, on the ground. And one car complied. They got out, they laid on the ground, and the, these two citizens held them there until the police officers arrived seven minutes later. The other car put it in gear and drove off, took off, and the police, they, got a, they called in a description on their cell phones, Handgun in one hand, cell phone in the other, talking to the cops. These two citizens put a stop to this violence. And when, <coughs> excuse me, when it came up, when the time presented itself, they did the proper thing. They stood up as citizens. 
being a citizen has certain responsibilities. And back in the Roman times, in the Greek times, and if you were a citizen, you were part of the establishment. And you were a responsible person. And it was an honor to be a citizen. And then there were people of lesser castes, and right on down to slaves. You know, most countries had slaves in, in our distant past, and our country had slavery for a while. That was a mistake, but but uh, we got over it and don't have any slaves anymore. But citizenship carries a responsibility. I try to be a responsible citizen. Many people do, but the number of of people in our country who view themselves as citizens carrying a responsibility is declining. We've got to get get around that. We've got to tell people, let people know about the heritage and what's happened. And John Adams on April 20th 1775 walked Battle Road from Concord back to Boston. It's 18 miles. And he walked that road. There were bodies laying there beside the Battle Road. Most of the colonials had been picked up. Their friends knew who they were and they were brought home and they were buried in the churchyard and honored, still honored to this day. And, but the Redcoats, they didn't have any dog tags. Nobody did. But unless they had a letter from home on their person, they didn't know who they were. And they simply buried them where they fell. And you walk Battle Road from Concord back to back toward Boston. You go from Concord to uh, Miriam's Corner and into the town of Lincoln, Massachusetts. And along the road, there are gravestones that say, here lie British soldiers. They just buried them there beside the road where they fell, if it was good digging. Some of the British soldiers were brought home, brought to the local churchyard and buried with with uh, respect alongside the townspeople in the same graveyard. And it just says British soldier on the gravestone. John Adams walking that road and seeing all those dead bodies and all the blood and the carnage and some of the clothing that was taken off and just left beside the road and holes in it because they needed to staunch the wounds, as they said, to, to prevent the bleeding. Gunshot wound back then was just as bad as it is today. I mean, it's a three-quarter inch diameter ball went through you, usually. You usually didn't stop the ball. It usually went through in one side and out the other, wherever it happened to hit. A great deal of damage, produced a lot of bleeding. And the, the risk of infection was huge. There were no, antibi- no antibiotics at that time. They didn't know what a germ was. They didn't know what a virus was. They just knew about illness and how to treat illness. And John Adams walked down that road, and he wrote to his wife, Abigail. 
He said, Posterity, you will never know the pains that it took us to obtain your liberty. And if you do not take care of it and preserve it, I shall repent in heaven all the pains we took to obtain it. John Adams, April 20th, 1775. I don't have to look it up. And that's what happened. You know, They came and they tried to take our firearms. And we asked the question at an apple seed. Between midnight on April 18th and sunset on April 19th, 17,000 men-at-arms showed up. 17,000. Just think of that. No phones, no cell phones, no radios. What they had was riders and church bells and cannons on the on the hilltops and musket fire in the night waking people up. They alarmed the population. Seventeen thousand men at arms walked away from their homes and went to serve their country. Do we raise seventeen thousand today? Could we raise seventeen hundred? What about 170? Can we get 170 men to stand up for freedom today? I had one guy say, I can't get 17 people come to a barbecue to my head when I feed them. The guy was in Connecticut. Connecticut's got his own problems. they got a crazy governor. But American people are starting to wake up, and the Europeans are waking up, and Great Britain will not be the first to secede from a bureaucracy that wants to determine and control the curvature of a banana. They're not going to stand for it. They're going to tell them, as they say in England, stuff it. The people have been gobsmacked. Another fine word came out of Scotland. Now, being gobsmacked is a thoroughly disagreeable experience of being smacked with a foul substance, and I'll leave it at that. But the people are starting to dig in their heels and say, no. Now, you're going to have situations where people who are disgruntled and don't know much, like... Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore, Maryland. But we've got two conventions coming up. And between the progressives and the anarchists, the homegrown, and ISIS, what a pair of targets. I'm glad I'm not going to be anywhere near Cincinnati, Ohio, or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania this summer. But it's up to us to defend our families. And people are leaving. People are leaving those areas, and they want to come to places like Carroll, Maine, where they've got a farm they could move into and live on for the rest of their lives, grow their own food, have some animals, have chickens, and maybe a couple of pigs and some goats for milk, and maybe even a little dairy herd. 
and enough fuel right there to keep your home warm for the rest of your life. Somebody's going to buy it. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. Hearing this on July 2nd, 2016, this is Independence Day. Think about that. Independence. We declared it. We got it. And if we don't preserve it, we will lose it. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.